You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Hope you brought your Bible. Probably want something to write with today, something to take some notes uh, this morning as we dig into the Word. We've been, we're going to wrap up this series this morning. We've been in for a number of weeks uh, about the Holy Spirit and His ministry to us. And uh, we've been, we kind of broke that into two sections. Jesus described the Holy Spirit when He comes into us. We've, we found that in the, at the new birth, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And uh, Jesus used the analogy of him being like a well of living water that springs up in us. We talked about the fact that when we get born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us and he begins to minister to us. He begins to change us. He begins to uh, speak to us and lead us and guide us and open the word to us and transform us to actually change who we are from the inside out. And uh, and then we've been talking about that the Holy Spirit uh, comes upon us at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The, uh, the scripture begins to use the term comes upon. And actually, that's not the first. You know, the, the prophecies about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit talk about him coming upon us. And at that point, what we see in the scripture is that he begins to pour out of people. And Jesus defined that, talked about that as that uh, as believers, we receive the Holy Spirit he will be like a river of living water pouring out of us. So at the new birth, he comes into us to minister to us. And at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he comes upon us to minister to others. And I want to say this this morning because every once in a while, I guess I, I've believed this and I think you have for so many years that it takes me by surprise sometimes that uh, not everybody realizes every believer is a minister, Okay, we've we've made that term vocational. And while it has a vocational aspect for some people, ministry just means you're serving people. And the the pattern that we see in the New Testament is that believers, all these promises we've been talking about, all these verses we've been talking about, they weren't to people who were ministers vocationally, they were to every believer. We are the church. Every one of us have a ministry. We have people around us that the Lord wants to reach, and he's included us in what he's doing in this earth. In fact, I would go as far to say as he does almost nothing in the earth apart from his people. And, and that's always been his desire to live in and through his people. And so we just, we need, I just want to say that again to all of us today, that when when you're out there, whatever it is that you do, the friends that you have, the people you interact with, opportunities where we run into somebody we don't know, whatever it is, God has a role for us. And he wants to empower us to reach people for him and to introduce them to the God that we all know and enjoy so much. And a part of that, Jesus made it really clear, we need the, the power and ability that comes through the Holy Spirit. So as we wrap this up today, I, I just want to talk again about this idea that it, it's perfectly normal isn't even good enough. It, it is the, the established pattern in the New Testament that believers be born again, they give their life to Jesus, receive him as their Savior, and be filled with the Holy Spirit, 
and, and go out and participate with God in the same ways that Jesus participated with the Father and demonstrated the Father and manifested the Father. That's for us too. So uh, if you would go over to Matthew chapter 9 with me. Kind of ended up with this a little bit last week, but I want to go back and look at this. Matthew chapter 9. Uh, and most of you will recognize uh, this story. It's brought out in different ways in different parts of the Scripture. Basically, what we're going to talk about this morning is that we, we've been, in fact, while you're going there, I'll just read from First uh, Thessalonians. You can mark that down if you want. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Paul writing to the church there, he said, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because... Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. And so throughout the New Testament, we see this combination of the the gospel. I've gotten to where I have a hard time thinking of how to say this because I, I can't separate the idea of the gospel going forth without also the message of the Holy Spirit uh, in that word. The word of God carries his life and power. And yes, we get born again uh, because we receive the message of Jesus as Savior. There is a message to the gospel, but that message comes with power. Actually, all the promises of God, the scripture tells us that all the promises of God contain the ability to bring themselves to pass. So when we're communicating uh the gospel to people, that's not just a, a lot of us were raised with just sort of a, a, a rote set of ideas to present to somebody. And, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. It's just that there needs to be life in that. And the life, the impact that your words will have comes because of the Holy Spirit on that word as, as you speak. And I don't know if that's making sense. But anyway, this combination of the message of the gospel and the demonstration of God's love in the gospel as we minister to people, somebody getting healed, somebody getting set free from something, you know, that, that actual tangible demonstration, those two go hand in hand all through the New Testament, all through the New Testament. This should This should just sort of be normal to us. So so um, let's go there to Matthew chapter 9 and beginning in verse 2, it says, some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. Now we know uh, from other uh, gospel writers that they brought this paralytic, they couldn't get through to where Jesus, he was inside a house, they, they couldn't get in, there were too many people there. So they went up on the roof, dug through the roof and lowered him down in front of them. And Jesus was in there teaching and ministering to people, and there were a number of uh, leaders there, Pharisees and, and others that were there. And they dug through the roof and lowered this guy down in front on his mat. They lowered him down in front of Jesus. And it says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. All right, so first, the first thing I really want to touch on, a couple of things. It says here that he saw their faith. In this case, there are other cases where Jesus talked to somebody about the person that was being healed, talked to them about their personal faith. 
And he said, be it done unto you according to your faith. All right. And so we, we know from uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 2, that one of the things that faith does is it accesses the grace of God. God gives us all of his promises come to us through grace, and our faith accesses grace. So faith and grace connect together, and faith receives from what grace pours out. All right, we know that that's a spiritual principle. So in this case, he says, it says he saw their faith. He saw the faith of the people that were digging through the roof. He saw what they did to lower this person. It wasn't necessarily, to our knowledge, it wasn't the person who needed the healing. It wasn't their faith. All I want to say from that is your faith is important for other people. And I don't mean to put that on us as some kind of burden. Oh, I have to have enough faith before I move. I I think that kind of thinking messes us up. But also, we need to understand that our trust in God, faith is confidence in God, our trust in him does open the door for other people. There are times where we minister to other people, and it's, it's going to be necessary for us to have the faith for that miracle. The best, the best thing is uh, when everybody has faith, and, uh, and we receive that way. The second thing I wanted to say from this is we can see here that the faith in those people manifested itself in action. And living faith, James tells us in chapter 2, he goes through quite a story about faith there, and he basically tells us that faith that doesn't produce a corresponding action, doesn't produce anything, it's just something that is said, I have faith in God. But there's no change. There's no pursuit. There's no digging through a roof. There's no uh, nothing that outward that occurs in our life. James says that faith is dead. So faith that is alive will produce actions in our life. It will change us. We will, we will think differently. We will act differently. Uh, we will go a different direction. Whatever it might be, we will, we will make an effort to get to Jesus or bring somebody to Jesus, whatever it might be. Depends on what the faith is for. It's not my intention to spend all morning talking about faith today. But, you know, Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing God. It says hearing by the word. And that word, translated word there is the word rhema, which means the spoken word of God. What he's communicating to us on a personal level whether it's bringing the scripture alive or what he breathes into our heart, that faith is, the faith in us is energized by that. So again, um, you know, the scripture tells us that every promise from God contains the power to bring itself to pass, Luke 137. And the idea there is that when God reveals something to us, reveals part of his character, speaks to us, uh, his word comes alive to us, whatever that is, whatever he breathes into us, There's faith that arises with that, and that faith then is alive because it's carrying the life of God, and we act differently. We do something differently. We change our course, whatever it might be. And it's real evident here that this this faith caught Jesus, uh, caught his attention, and because of their faith, he speaks to this person, and he says, take hearts on your sins are forgiven. All right, and then we go on here in in verse four. Um, 
Well, let me, I better read it from here. Let's just read it through. Verse 3, at this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming, and Jesus is blaspheming. All right, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, and the reason they said that is because only God has the ability to forgive sin. All right, so on the one hand, he's giving them the message that he's not just another person. All right, and they are uh, they are recognizing that and they are criticizing him over it and accusing him of blasphemy. So in verse four, he says, knowing their thoughts, that term knowing actually means seeing. It is, I don't even know why. I think some translations translate it seeing, but if you look it up, the word means to see. So he, he saw their thoughts. He read their thoughts because they didn't say it out loud. They, he saw their thoughts. And he said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? And, and that terminology there, it means, why are you harboring evil? Why are you giving evil thoughts safe harbor in your heart? We're not going to talk about that this morning, but that's a whole message in itself because we can all do that. Give the, you know, we all have thoughts. We all have things that come in. We have things people say to us or we see or hear or there are our own thoughts or the devil whispers them to you, whatever. Just because a thought comes, we can reject thoughts. We can rebuke thoughts. We don't have to give them safe harbor. So, so these guys were giving safe harbor uh, to these thoughts. And he says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, arise and walk. And we all know the answer to that is it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. It's easier to say, God loves you than to demonstrate the love of God. It's easier to say God wants you well than to lay hands on the sick and believe for them to recover. Jesus is drawing a line between invisible truth. Okay, your sins are forgiven. That was true. Jesus said it. That was true. It's truth, but it's invisible. Okay? And he's drawing a line between that and the manifestation of that truth. He's talking, he's drawing a line between the two. He says, which is easier to say, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed and go to the house. And he arose and departed to his house. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and praised God who had given men such authority. So in this case, Jesus is tying together the visible, tangible manifestation of God's power and really God's love for this person. He's, God, in, in healing this paralytic, was demonstrating what he said about himself, that he is the healer. He's demonstrating that he loves this person. He's demonstrating that he wants a, a full life for this person. He's de- all of that is happening in demonstration. Not just somebody saying it, but God manifesting it in this person's life. And in doing that, Jesus essentially authenticated what he'd already said, the invisible part of it, that your sins are forgiven. He authenticated that with the visible manifestation. Does that make sense to you? It's how many times do we get the opportunity or, or how many times have we seen where people are 
they're not sure about God. They're not sure. I mean, in this day and age, a lot of people are, are saying that they don't believe in God at all. You know, they just, all of that, you know, all the arguments that are out there. Many of those same people in need will look for prayer. So I don't, when I hear that, I just take it as, yeah, well, whatever, we'll, we'll see. But, but when the Lord comes into somebody's life and you get to pray for him or I get to pray for him and he heals a sickness or a disease or he sets them free from an addiction or he begins to work in their life in one way or another, when those kinds of things happen, they are, they are demonstrations of God's love. They are demonstrations of, of God's presence, that he's here, that he knows, that he cares. It doesn't have to be a life-threatening thing, you know. We've, we've had people that I, I just told you recently about my brother-in-law, and he's been so opposed to God for so long. And just knowing that one healing and a person he doesn't even know, I guess he met once many years ago, that this person's ribs were healed and and all of that, I've told you that story, opened his heart to the message of the gospel. It opened his heart in a way it hasn't been opened forever. I'm not saying, and and, and obviously the gospel message, for one thing, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. All right, Romans 1.16. But I'm, and I'm not saying that the message is irrelevant. I'm saying that what Jesus demonstrated to us and what he assigned us to do is a combination of the word that carries life and God's willingness to manifest himself in people's lives. Does that make sense to you? All right, so let's look at this. This, I want to look at some of this New Testament pattern uh, today in the time that we have left. So we can go over, if you would, over to John chapter 20. We're going to look at several uh, verses here, but I have part of this up on your screen. I'm going to begin reading in verse 25, uh, a little more than what I could fit up on the screen there. John chapter 20, verse 25. Now you remember, we looked last week at John chapter 20, verse 21 and 22, where Jesus came in and he breathed on the disciples. And you'll remember that that same term breathed was used in the book of Genesis when Adam, uh, when God breathed life into Adam. It was when they were born again. He said, receive, admit into, admit the Holy Spirit into you. So, so the disciples had this encounter with Jesus. Thomas wasn't there. And so now a little farther in the chapter, it says, so the other disciples told him, talking about Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see, unless I see, okay, the nail marks in his hands, and I put my finger where the nails were. So unless I see it and feel it, is what he's saying, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. I will not believe it. He's not saying I cannot believe it. This is where his heart was. I love that the Bible's so honest about where our hearts are. (laughs) A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them, and, and though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand put it into my side. Stop doubting. And really that that means stop being faithless 
and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So clearly the attitude of Thomas's heart was not what Jesus preferred. He said, it's, it's better those who blessed are those who don't have to see and touch and feel and yet believe. He said, that's better. I believe that's what he prefers. Nevertheless, he did this for Thomas. He came and he showed him. And a lot, he did exactly what Thomas asked for. And here's, I, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> that's why I'm not God. Uh, you know, he said, I won't believe unless... I'd have said, well, maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I'd have been nicer than I think. But Jesus did exactly what he said. He let him see. He let him touch. He, he, he brought him what he needed in, in order to believe. And, I, you know, again, Jesus met him where he was. It wasn't that Jesus preferred or approved of that attitude, but he met him where he was. He did what was needed for Thomas to know he was who he said he was. And I just think that's awesome. He'll still do that. I honestly, sometimes we get caught up in our doctrine and what has to happen and this and that. And, and I know people do need to receive Jesus as Lord to be born again. I mean, that's true. We've got to confess him as Lord, believe that he was raised from the dead for our sins. There's no question about that. But how he gets us to that point often goes way around my doctrine, okay? It goes, he, is, he, he will not violate his word, no question about it, but he will violate our little interpretation of his word at times. And, and he will go to such lengths to reach people. And so as we're ministering to people, I think that should bring a lot of confidence to us. It's really not about us, and it's not about us doing everything right and saying everything right. I mean, yeah, we need to participate and we need to pray and intercede and we need to minister and do what God shows us to do. We do need to do that, but it's up to him. You know, all we can do is plant or water or whatever he gives us. Only God can bring in the harvest. Only God can do that. And, and we got to remember, because what we're talking about is moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, that gets us into uh, signs and wonders and miracles that are for today. God still does the things. Jesus said, the same works that I have done, you will do also and greater works than these. There's no question that he, the assignment he gave us to reach the world included there being manifestations of his power through our lives that should excite us. And yet, for some reason, we get all intimidated by that. We get nervous. I think we're afraid that if we, you know, well, what if I pray for somebody and they don't get healed? Well, that's bound to happen. So get over it. You know, it's bound to happen. But if you don't pray for anybody, they're for sure not going to get healed. And the more people you pray for, and I always use healing, there are lots of, lots of other things, right? But whatever it is, that manifestation of the power of God, delivering somebody from an addiction, that the things God does in our hearts are every bit as big a miracle as that paralytic getting off that bed. I'm and there's you know to to through the life of the Spirit and the Word of God for us to become different people, not just put on some stupid religious 
jargon and cloak. We all are nauseated by that. And I think God is nauseated by that. We have the opportunity to actually be transformed from the inside out, to become new people, to have a different heart, to have different thoughts and a different way of living. But we're, we're talking about this and, and, you know, we just have to remember, we've said this for years, signs or miracles, they're never just about the miracle. They're always, the, every miracle that we see is a sign that points to the reality of, of who God is. Somebody gets healed, the message is, I am the healer and I love you enough to heal your body. You know, somebody gets set free from something, I am the deliverer. Every sign points to, the sign isn't the reality, the sign points to the reality. You know, we've said this forever, you drive down the road and it says, all right, well, right out here, right out front, Crested Butte, 28 miles. The sign isn't Crested Butte. Crested Butte is 28 miles up the road, but the sign points to a reality. And it's the same when when we see people healed, set free, delivered, the dead raised, whatever it is, it points to an aspect of God's nature. This is important. He's, he's the, the, honestly, the assignment he gave us in the earth, I don't believe that his heart can be accurately or fully communicated without acts of love that are way beyond what we could do. They've got to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Without uh without the signs, wonders, and miracles that it says in the scripture will follow believers. And that's an important thing. You know, it's gotten to be a cliche, but believers aren't supposed to follow signs, wonders, and miracles. The signs, wonders, and miracles are supposed to follow believers. But we should expect that to be normal. So let me read you a couple more. John chapter 20, you still with me? Two of you, that's good. Awesome. I'm doing good. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. John writes, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These are written... The signs, wonders, and miracles, they're written down, they're communicated to you so that you can believe. There is an aspect, and we also, this is so, and I'm just going to go through some of these things that pull on each other in the scripture. We can look at the scripture and know that signs, wonders, and miracles do not actually create faith. I think they create hope, which can lead us to a place of faith. They reveal aspects of God's nature, which can lead us to a place of faith. But, we can, we can see people who saw huge signs, wonders, and miracles and then doubted God the next day. We can see it over and over and over and over. So you can reject, and I mean, we live in this day in Western culture. We live in this day where you can, you can just untie, oh, well, that's just whatever. You know, you can come up with some uh, intellectual juggling that dismisses anything that happens in life. Nevertheless, the scripture tells us these things are written so that you may believe. It's, it's this, this manifestation of his presence is really important to the gospel. Here it is, Mark chapter 16, verse 20. Mark 16, 20. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. So they're speaking the word 
And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. So as they went and ministered the word, there were signs that accompanied that. That's normal. That's Christianity. How we ever got to where a lot of us are today, I have no idea. So here's another one. John chapter 14, verse 11. John 14, 11. Believe me, Jesus speaking, believe me when I say, I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. He said this to his disciples. At least, so this is the least, okay? Believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. God wants us to have that personal engagement with him. And and really, as he speaks to us, that's where our faith and our trust, our love for him, all of that is built in that personal relationship. But he did say to his disciples, if nothing else, believe on the basis of the miracles that you've seen. So, so this is important, okay? It's, it's really important. The, the, the best faith, for lack of a better way to say it, comes just through that interaction with the Lord, all right? But the signs, the wonders, the miracles are there to demonstrate his presence and his provision and who he is. It, it, that it, at least the fact that God shows up at the very least makes not believing more difficult. Okay, it makes it a little harder. You gotta, you gotta try and work your way out of that. Okay, so let's look at this. Start wrapping this up. Um, this is the pattern we see throughout the New Testament. I know I've shared it with you before. But in every case that we have recorded in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit came upon people, something happened that was either visible or audible, something outward and tangible took place. And this is just a short list. All right, beginning in Acts chapter 2. Verses 2 through 4, it says, Suddenly a sound like a blowing, the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Remember a few weeks ago when we talked about Jesus making this statement that we have in John seven thirty-seven and 38, where he talked about um, how rivers of living water would flow out of people. And the context of that, we went through uh, the, the Feast of Tabernacles is what we Gentiles call it. Uh, and part of the deal was there that uh, on that last day when the water was poured out and, and rushed out from the altar, uh, the procession that came up, everybody had leaves and and um, willow sticks. The priests had ones that were like 25 feet long, and they were all swinging them, and there was this big sound like a rushing wind as the procession came into the temple. Well, on the day that the Holy Spirit, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, there was a sound like a blowing of a violent wind that came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. I love that. God demonstrated that at the Feast of Tabernacles for hundreds of years. And then it occurs as the Holy Spirit comes. It's so awesome. They saw what seemed like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So again, we know the story. They went out into the streets. There were people out there from, for that feast from all 
kinds of places. And they all heard them declaring the wonderful works of God in their own language. It was a supernatural manifestation. The Holy Spirit came upon them and there was an audible, uh, visible in some ways, uh, tangible manifestation of something taking place. All right. Then in... um, Down in Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 19. Acts chapter 8. This is where Philip had gone out to Samaria and had ministered to people there. It says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, so they were born again. They had accepted the message. They sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them. They had received the Holy Spirit into them at the new birth, but he had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. So it's real clear. They were born again. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw, this is this guy, Simon. He was not a good guy. Uh, he, Simon the sorcerer. This isn't Simon Peter, Okay. Simon the sorcerer, he's following them around. He loves what he's seeing, okay? And he wants it so he can make money off of it. So it's a, so the Holy Spirit came upon these people and it says, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given by the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. All right, the point is, something happened when the Holy Spirit came upon those people that Simon could see. There was an evidence. There was something outward that took place. We don't know if they prophesied or spoke in tongues or what happened, but it wasn't just somebody laid hands on them and they all walked away and went home or Simon wouldn't have thought he could make any money off of that, right? So something outward took place. Normal Christianity. All right, the next one. Um, And this is really long. We're just going to go through a little bit. Acts chapter 10. Let's see. What's the best way to do this? I'm running out of time. Now let me read this passage to you. I'm going to start in verse 37. Acts chapter 10. This is Peter in the house of Cornelius. God's given both Cornelius and Peter visions to bring those two together. This is the first time the Holy Spirit was poured out upon Gentiles. All right, and God went to great lengths to make that happen because the people, the Jews wouldn't have done it otherwise. Verse 37, you know what has happened, this is Peter speaking, throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So he's essentially giving them the gospel, right? Verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 
while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came upon all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit, they still didn't get it, they still thought it was just for the Jews, uh, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then he says, can anybody keep them from being baptized in water? Because obviously they've been born again and the Holy Spirit has come upon them. And they began to prophesy and they began to speak in tongues. There was some evidence of what had happened. That's all I'm trying to get to. All through the New Testament, people get born again. Then the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And then their life changes. The original disciples, if we'd read farther down through that, in John chapter 2, they went from hiding in the upper room to being out in the street, miracles happening around them, getting hauled into jail, standing up to the authorities. Great boldness came on them. Their prayers were so strong when they were together that it shook the ground. I mean, all these things started to happen around them. This was normal Christianity. All right, one more. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter 19. This is Paul traveling, and he's headed for Corinth. He's just on the road there. And it says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Okay, so they're disciples. He asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. That's how a lot of us grew up. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. John said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one who is coming after him, and that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus, born again, accepted Jesus, baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in other tongues and they prophesied, okay? So again, all through the New Testament, we have this pattern. We have this pattern. The assignment at every every assignment that Jesus gave to his disciples, every time, sent out the 12, sent out the 70, sent us all out to the world. Every assignment includes praying for the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, things that we cannot do simply by having a good message. The gospel is a wonderful message, but it's not supposed to be only a message. Just one more verse here. There is, I'll just read the verse. Acts chapter 2, verse 39 says, The promise of the Holy Spirit is to and for you, and your children, and two and four, all that are far away, even two and four, as many as the Lord our God invites and bids to come to himself. All right. That verse, some of you probably grew up with people saying, oh, well, yeah, all that happened in the book of Acts, but that all passed away when that last, probably John, right? He got really old. That last disciple keeled over. That was it. No, no, more, no more miracles, no more Holy Spirit being poured out, no more of that. Now you're, you're just going to have your Bible. I, I'm teasing, but I know people who were raised in, in that cessationist idea that all of this passed away with the last disciple. 
There is nothing in the Bible that says that. And there's no time in recorded church history where there haven't been great moves of the Holy Spirit going on in one part of the world or another. This verse, to me, alone tells us this promise, this promise. Who said this? Peter, on the day of Pentecost, going out into the streets and having these things taking place and 3,000 people getting saved. That person said, this promise is to you and for you and for your children and everybody God will ever call to himself. So I just leave this with you. This is, and we've, you know, each week I've said, if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you've never just asked and received, I'd be happy to pray with you after service. I think the, you know, the majority of you have. I just encourage you, take these things and take them to the Lord. And, and I, I guess what I'm looking for for us, I really think part of the reason I look at all this and I go, so why are we so nervous about praying for the sick or expecting God to show up in tangible ways according to his word? Why are we so nervous? And the only answer I can come up with is because we're still focused on us. It's when you lay hands on a sick person, how many of you know you can't heal them? Okay, God knows that too. You can't heal them. It's okay. God knows this. But the Spirit of God in you can and will. And yeah, we all go through in learning to move in this and learning to hear what he's saying and when he's telling us to to move in a certain way or bring a word to somebody, bring a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. It's scary for everybody at first because we're going to go out there and we've spent this time in private with God and then, and we've, we felt like, oh, the Lord's telling me to bring this scripture to somebody or to, to step out here with somebody who doesn't even like me and take groceries to their house or to, to lay hands on a sick person and, and pray for their recovery or lay hands on somebody at work and pray for their baby that's sick at home, whatever it is. And, and for, so we're going to step out in public and we're going to take a risk, you know? And so it feels that way to all of us. But the only comfort I know of in that is to realize All he asked me to do was put my hands on him and trust him. He didn't ask me to heal him. He didn't ask me to have all the answers. He didn't ask me to have all the answers to their situations or their problems or even my own. He gave us the simple, he gave us the little part. I can do this. I can do this. And then he does the big part. And T.L. Osborne used to say, and he lets you feel big about it. We don't want to feel too big about it. That's the point. But all it is, I'm just, this should excite us. This is an exciting life to actually, the scripture says, we're called into companionship and participation with him in his kingdom and what he's doing in the earth. That's exciting. We're all different. He knows who you are. He knows how you are. He knows your background. He'll, he'll show himself to you in a way that will increase your faith. He'll do all of that if we're just willing. That's really all he's asking, just be willing. Did you get anything out of this? Let's stand up and pray this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. God, I just, I just pray, Father, for all of us, Everything really we've looked at over the last 10 weeks now, Father, on this, these subjects, Lord, I, I just pray that, Father, for all of us, 
we ask you to use us. And God, it's not about us. It's about you loving people in the earth and your invitation to us to actually partner with you and your gift, the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Lord, all of us are going out there into different situations. Every one of us have friends and neighbors and family and all these different situations. You're the only one that can sort all of that out. And I just ask that for everybody who's willing, Lord, we just yield our hearts and say, Lord, we look for the opportunities that you give us to minister a word, to minister kindness, to minister healing, to minister breakthrough, whatever it might be. Lord, we, you've, you've said that we're out there to sow good seed and we're out there to water seed that we don't even know is in those hearts. So whatever you show us to do or say or the kindness that you give us to show to somebody, Lord, we just say we will do it. We'll just do whatever it is. And we anticipate you doing big things in people's lives because it's who you are. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're going to be dismissed here. We will count to three. We will say Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison base in the world. And then I do just encourage you like I do every work. We go out there and be the church of Jesus Christ. Just be the church in your, in your world. All right. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.